Welcome in to another episode of the Think Deeper podcast, I, uh, presented by Focus Press. Always want to throw that in there. I am your co-host, Will Harab, joined by only Jack Wilkie. We are without Joe this week. He is right. kicked up on some beach somewhere, probably, uh, you know, just enjoying himself a, a fruit smoothie or something and, you know, got his phone shut off. We haven't heard from him in goodness, like a week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I hope he's having a really good time with his family. Um, and I, I fully believe that our viewership, our listenership will be down for this week since he's not here. But I do have to ask, Jack, is this the quickest we've ever got on and started recording? You know, since Joe didn't send us the, hey, guys, I'm going to be a few minutes late text or <laughs> it's got to be. Yeah, it, it was like when when you got on at 830, like as we talked about, I was like, oh, wow, we can actually get started tonight. <laughs> so crazy, right? Crazy how that works. Joe, we miss you. Enjoy your enjoy your time off. Uh, Joe will be back next week. Um, but for this week, we are tackling an interesting topic. It's one that I hope uh, everybody finds interesting. We're talking about preachers, um, kind of the role of a preacher. Um, it's something that I think a lot of people believe that they maybe kind of already have a grasp on. Yeah, okay, I know what a preacher does. I know um, you know, what they're supposed to do, and I know what the role is supposed to look like. But what we were discussing, what Jack and I were discussing with this episode is there's, there's a lot of questions surrounding a preacher's role um, that really need to be answered. There's a lot of kind of misunderstandings with what a preacher's role should be, um, biblically speaking, of course. And this is one of those things that I think deserves more seriousness sometimes than um, what we, you know, the seriousness that we give it, I guess I should say. Because you think about what, just on the surface, what the role of a preacher currently is, really is kind of the voice of the congregation. And if you have, if, if we, I should say, have a misunderstanding about the role, about, you know, anything like that, you're kind of misleading a large portion of the congregation because of the authority of the preacher. And so this is something I think we always need to be evaluating. These are questions I think we do need to answer. And so that's what we're going to do with this episode is take a look at the role of the preacher according to God's word. Take a look at kind of how modern day uh, preaching looks like. Maybe some questions about um, the way people get kind of ushered into preacherhood these days. Um, but Jack, I don't have the option of choosing you or Joe to hand it off to. So I'm handing it off to I'm handing it off to you to kind of get us into there's there's kind of some problems surrounding our current understanding of a preacher. So get us into some of those. Yeah, I do want to say this uh, was kind of spurred on by a question from one of our Focus Plus subscribers, and so we always want to shout them out. Uh, I believe it was Abby, uh, and so we I'm very thankful for the questions put before us. Um, again, we always say check out Focus Plus. Uh, we're putting some free stuff up there, uh, older content you can access. So focuspress.org slash plus. Become a, a subscriber, uh, and you can really interact and, and throw some of these topics out. Maybe get one of uh, your your topics you want to know about on an episode like this. So, with the preacher thing, there's there's a question came up in Bible class when I was teaching recently about does the preacher even have authority? Like, do, what what is this role? You know, there's elders, deacons, and you know, I, I wrote up there kind of uh, on the board. We were talking about the church and and the breakdown of it. I wrote elders, deacons, preachers, and somebody said I'm uncomfortable with that. Elders and deacons are there. We have their qualifications, but preachers are—they're a different thing. They don't have authority, and and it just kind of made me think. All right, we need a, a robust understanding of this whole thing. And and there's there's a lot of things we know that it isn't because of bad ideas out there. And so many times we we see bad ideas and go, okay, I don't like that, and and so we run away from that. But we don't know what is good. And of course the the big one was the the priest thing, of course that uh, you know dominated for so long and is still out there today. 
But then you have the pastor role, right? Where somebody's kind of a blend of elder and preacher. And, and they, so they have authority and they teach. And uh, you just you kind of see some of these churches that are one-man shows. In fact, I, I met some guys uh, when I was ministering in Texas along the way where that was kind of the thing is, well, I started this church with my wife and, you know, I'm, I'm the pastor and he just decides everything. He's, he's the CEO of the church. Big man he's on campus like an is entrepreneur. what it is, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so his doctrinal leanings are what the church does. His, what he, what he thinks the church should focus on, the financial spending of the church, all that is, it all runs through him. And we look at that and go, oh, no, that's, that's not right. Because the other thing is, you know, they, they, it is like an elder role and you'll meet a guy who's like, uh, you know, 24 years old. Uh, Yeah, I'm pastor so-and-so. And it's like, all right, let me see your believing children, buddy. Right. Like, let's, let's <laughs> not uh, a novice. You know, get into comes to some mind. of these qualifications. Yeah. yeah, not a novice. Yeah, and so uh, you, you look at those things and go, okay, it wasn't supposed to be a pastor, and so that's one of the the things that sets us wrong. But what else uh, we got here? On, I mean, it's it's a pendulum thing, right? Yeah, because because the other side um, of it is you've got somebody that has all the responsibility of, of of the pastor of the preacher but you know none of the authority and one of the one of the ones that I see quite a bit of is you know you hear that well that's the preacher's job right that we we give all the the mission or the evangelism we give all the the really the spiritual work that the congregation should be doing what who do we give it to the visiting yeah the visiting the you know hospitality yeah bringing yeah. food to people oh well you know the, we got a preacher to handle that right the preacher can can take care of that and let's be honest a lot of elderships have kind of put that in the qualification or not qualifications the uh, yeah i guess the job qualifications when they're hiring a guy you know nothing on the service wrong with that of course a preacher minister probably should be doing those things but i think in a way it convinces the congregation cool we have hired somebody to take care of our evangelism for us we have hired somebody to take care of our visitation for us that's also not a good thing and something that also just came to my mind jack as i was thinking about you know why is it that somebody might be uncomfortable with a preacher's i guess position or role being elevated you know maybe not necessarily on the same level as elders and deacons but you know that they have some authority how many horror stories have we heard about preachers? And, you know, it's the glass house thing, right? You, you you don't hear, at least I certainly don't hear as many stories about elders, you know, cheating on their wives or having any kind of scandal or anything. Usually it's preachers, at least that may, may, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm usually hearing about preacher scandals, not so much elder scandals. And so I think a lot of people have been scarred maybe by, you know, you have a really, really solid preacher. He does, he maybe has some authority and then it just vanishes, goes away because of a scandal or something like that. And, and so I don't know if, if that would give some, some cause to pause for a lot of people, um, to say, well, maybe the preacher shouldn't be given that much authority, but, um, we'd get into that later if we need to, but those are kind of the, the, the two sides to the way we commonly view preachers these days and some of the problems with that. What else do you have to add to that? I think, you know, we don't like authority in general. We talked about this and we, we spoke about the elders. Uh, we did a, a couple episodes on that. And and so we view the elders as kind of like the board that answer to the shareholders, right? And they're responsible to the congregation and keeping people happy, doing what people want. And with the preacher, because he's not the CEO of the board, he's not, you know, we're not sure where to put him. And so very much, sometimes there's a disrespect toward the role, of just like, well, he's the guy that gets up there and, and preaches the lessons. Anybody can do that. Well, no, no, they couldn't. Like that. That's 
there needs to be a respect for the man of God in this role who is supposed to be different in a way and, and not in a priest way where he's elevated above everybody else and he's better than everybody else and you know holier than thou any of that stuff no it's it's not that we believe in the priesthood of all believers but on the other hand there was there, there's something to this and and so we have that flippancy toward it where just kind of yeah you can come and go and and you can see this there's a lot of places and i was fortunate to not be in any place like this but I mean, i've got plenty of preacher friends with the horror stories they're just treated like dirt they're they're paid terribly they're not taken care of they're they're not let out on vacation they're not uh, there is the glass house thing you know there's there's just uh, all demands on their times all uh, time all the time it, it's not a respected role and and that's not a good thing it, it should not be a, a venerated role where they are you know the patron saint of a church kind of thing but there should be a respect that, that that comes along with this because it is a serious job because uh it, it's it's important and so uh we want to get to some kind of protocol questions first because i had an email exchange with somebody recently who just insisted preachers that the role should not exist it was never intended to be a role for us to still have 2000 years ago that it was you know paul and timothy and titus and people like that were traveling they'd go set up a church get the guys of the church to where they were competent enough and then just leave and and you don't need a preacher anymore and so uh it's an interesting thought it would be hard to refute as it would also be really hard to prove what are your thoughts on that one yeah so Another question that I want us to get into later is the the Timothy Titus elder thing, and uh, we, we can get to that later in a bit. Um, but yeah, so I have also heard that, the idea that, you know, basically in, in Ephesians 4.11, when he talks about he gave himself, or he himself gave some, kind of the, the talking about spiritual gifts here, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets. You stop right there, we don't have either one of those anymore because we have God's word, and so we don't, you know, the need for prophets is gone, obviously we don't have apostles. And so then you, you've got some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. And I've heard people argue, like you just said, that that term evangelists should be referring to people who basically are traveling evangelists. You know, they, they build a place up and then they move on. Um, my initial comment, I, or I guess my initial position on that would be, I think if a congregation has really strong, has a strong eldership, I can see a case where you don't necessarily need a preacher because you have, um, you've got, again, a strong eldership, men that are able to teach. You've got good shepherds leading the congregation. And so the need may not be there. What's the problem with that, though? What percentage of congregations have elderships, first of all, as we discussed in a previous episode, but also really strong elderships? You know, unfortunately, that percentage is, is, is rather low. And so I do believe that there is a need for somebody who has studied the scriptures, who is a knowledgeable man of God. Does he have the, the experience and the faithful kids and all that as we talked about as the elders do? No, but I've, brought, I've been frustrated before I brought this up that we, we, we want to equate everybody on the same spiritual level. You know, we take verses like, well, we're all one in Christ Jesus, and we kind of, oh, well, everybody's the same in, in, in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, they are, but not in their Bible knowledge, not in their, their spiritual authority. And so I think, you know, it's wise to have somebody who has, has studied deeply God's word. We should all be studying, but there's a reason there's preaching schools. There's a reason why... You know, we are on different levels when it comes to our spiritual understanding. 
And man, especially for these congregations that don't have elders and just, you know, who have the men of the congregation, men's meetings or whatever, to have somebody there who has the Bible knowledge and who has the, 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 the spiritual wisdom that maybe other people in the congregation don't have, should they have? Sure. But maybe they don't have. I think that's incredibly valuable and and not something that we should just kind of flippantly say, well, it's not really needed because everybody should be able to, to get up there and teach. What do you have to add to that? Does that make sense? That obviously I I think so. Ideally maybe, you know, strong, every congregation had really strong elderships and everybody was able to teach. You wouldn't necessarily need that role. That's not what we have. I think it's interesting when you lay out the new Testament, you have Paul goes to these churches and, and then goes back and helps them set up elders. And, and that's part of it. We don't know what the church looked like back then. There's people that contend that it was it was kind of the church in a city, and it was that met multiple homes, and the elders would be kind of over the whole city and and have to know the, each home or whatever. We just don't know. It, you know, it was not they all met in a building that held 500 people. We know that much, but as to what it looked like, but we know in Acts 20 that Paul had established elders in Ephesus. He meets with them. He, he warns them about the wolves coming in and kind of what they need to do and, and kind of his parting charge to them as, as maybe the last time he's going to see them. And yet, he leaves Timothy at Ephesus and First and Second Timothy, which go right up to the end of Paul's life. I mean, it was the last thing he wrote was Second Timothy. He's talking to a preacher of Ephesus in the same place where that already had these elders that, that Paul knew. And so this idea that you're supposed to set up the elders and move on that's not the system Paul and Timothy were using. And so yeah. I don't, I I think the timeline when you line it up that way doesn't really work. And, and when you look at what Timothy was called to do and, and also what Titus was called to do, it's not exactly the same function as the preacher, or as the elders, number one. But number two, you really need this guy. As you said, the guy that has the Bible knowledge, the guy that, that's been there, maybe experienced or whatever the case may be. And, and you want elders who are knowledgeable and, and able to teach as part of it and, and all of that. But... Uh, this is a, a very specific role, you know, and, and Paul uses this word over and over and over in these these letters to Paul and Timothy, but or Timothy and Titus, but especially to Timothy, entrusted. You were entrusted with this. Like, this very valuable thing was handed to you. You have to be the steward and the manager of the gospel to these people, and yeah, elders are going to help you, but also, hey, you, you mentioned this, so we'll get to it in a minute. Uh, I don't want to jump ahead either. He was told, and Titus was told, you know, they were appoint elders was part of the role. But number two, in in First Timothy five and six, there's or chapter five that is, uh, he's the one that's kind of supposed to be keeping a check on the elders. The elders are supposed to keep a check on doctrine. We view this very much in the one way kind of thing because we're afraid of a pastor and a preacher getting too much authority. He's he's employed he's by the elders. They're right. his bosses, right. right? Whereas what you see in First Timothy five is him telling Timothy, "All right, here's what you do when an elder goes astray. Here's how you address the guy and remove him from the position if necessary." And man, that that idea of checks and balances and they're kind of on equal footing in some ways. That is anathema to some people. And so this idea that we don't need the role anymore, I don't think that holds. This idea that that was never the intent. It's what they were doing right there in that Acts 20 Timothy timeline, so I don't really buy the idea. Well, that's such a great point, but also think about, like, this is three letters in the New Testament that were written to a specific role, and for somebody to just flippantly say, oh, well, we don't really need that role anymore, that's that's a pretty bold statement, because as you as you talk about all these things that Timothy is, is given, he's entrusted by Paul, this is a list of, like, Again, do's and don'ts here. Appoint elders. Uh, you know, don't rebuke an older man. These are things that 
this guy who uh, most people agree and believe, biblical scholars do, that Timothy was a fairly young guy based on uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, I believe it is. Um, yeah, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. And so, yeah, I mean, if you've got two letters in the, or I guess three, 1 2 Timothy and then Titus, that were written to a specific role with a specific purpose, and this is what you're, this is what it's to look like, again, kind of a bold take to say that, that it's not needed anymore. And so I think we agree that it is still needed. Again, maybe ideally you've got some places that you, your elders can, can handle that, but I think the role is still very valuable. And so if you don't have anything else to add there, I do want to move us into the next question, and that is, okay, what authority do preachers have then? Because we have agreed we can, you know, it's the two ditches thing. We can swing too far into the ditch of give them all the authority. It's kind of the one-man show. It's they're running the church. It's a dictatorship, right? The, especially, I've seen this as well, congregations that don't have elders, the preacher is the most spiritually knowledgeable man. And so pretty much if, if he thinks something, if he believes something, whatever he says, that's what happens. And, you know, I, I don't want to think that everybody's going to abuse that, but let's face it. You give one man that kind of power that can, that can go the wrong way and go downhill in a hurry. And so you don't want to go that direction, but then you also have the other direction that I think is where, and as you've so brilliantly stated already, a lot of preachers now don't really have any authority. Because we we look down on the role, preachers are the butts of a lot of jokes. You know, they're kind of the the joke of the church and the joke of the congregation in a lot of areas, a lot of ways. So, what authority do preachers have? I'll start with you. I'll let you hit the the first couple, and then I'll I'll wrap us up. So, uh, I'm going to use an analogy here. A lot of times you see today, you know, like single women saying, "I'm going to adopt a kid. I don't need a father. I don't need a man to do it." You know how disrespectful that is to the role of the father, right. of like what he brings to the table and all that? In the same sense of, of churches, uh, this whole, well, we'll just have all of the men get up and do it. What does James 3, 1 say? Let not many of you become teachers. Like this, again, the entrusted thing of this is important. And, and what he, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, find faithful men train them so they can teach others also like this is this is the few the proud this is not everybody gets to do this not everybody needs to be a teacher not everybody needs to be in this role and it's because you're gonna have some authority because just if if the job alone was getting up on sunday and preaching the scriptures that's authoritative you need an authoritative voice but you also need somebody like that that is that has the respect behind that and man this this thing where we don't respect it it shows we don't really respect what they're bringing to the table either. Yeah, and I was going to bring up too because I have heard the arguments of well, anybody should just be able to get up and preach, and, and you know, it, we shouldn't glorify the role. Anybody who has studied God's word should be able to get up and 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 preach the word, right? And my question has always been, I guess, more of an appeal to human nature: is there not are there not certain people that do have the spiritual gift for this and maybe spiritual gifts is the wrong way to put it they have the talent for this no, and I don't so, think it is I think it's the right right and so like I don't know I've, I've always like there are just certain people that if they are teaching or preaching I'm not going to get anything out of the sermon and I know you know it's not all about me but a sermon should be for edification and for education and I I, I don't see a problem with the idea of that that role that position is reserved for the ones that not, I guess more talented is not the right way to put it, but those who are um, more knowledgeable, more studied, and have the ability to communicate the word. Because it's one thing to know what God's word says and to know what to teach. It's another thing to be able to communicate that effectively. And so I think going along with what you're saying there is that 
you know, that's, that's a role, that's a position that you need to be able to communicate that well, because think about, we've all heard, you know, sermons before, incredibly biblical, not an ounce of untruth presented and, and communicated terribly. And, you know, what, if, if you have congregations that are being led by that mindset of the kind of open mic night thing, anybody can get up there and do it. That's probably going to be a struggling congregation. What are your thoughts on that angle of, of again, kind of the, I guess, talent area, the, the spiritual gift area of there's some people that are just better at communicating God's word than others. It's true. It just and it is. sounds harsh. I mean, you look it does. At the Old Testament. It, it does. But you look at the Old Testament, you know, you had prophets, priests, and kings that were different people, different jobs. And the prophets and the priests, there wasn't the overlap. But the other thing is you had prophets, priests, and kings, and then you had the other million, however many people of Israel that were just run-of-the-mill guys that, that didn't get up and lead, that weren't part of that. And that's okay. There is nothing wrong with not ever getting up and preaching a sermon. Uh, like we, we've just kind of got this thing of like, well, everybody needs to do that. That's their way of participating. No, there's guys that are never going to preach a sermon and they bring some, so much else to the table and that's okay. It's what every joint supplies and what every joint supplies is not a sermon because when we get in this mindset, this is where you start leading down the road for people to say, man, we don't let women do anything. If everything we think can happen in the church revolves around somebody getting up and speaking, then yeah, we don't let women do anything. Right. But seeing as most of the people aren't supposed to get up and speak, because not only, you know, you mentioned don't have the talent for it, it's very, look at how much pop theology is out there that is just wrong, that just is is not correct. And you want people to learn the word and, and, and grow into it and all that. But again, I, one of the things that, that put me on this, and, and I've, I've been on, I've been talking about this book that's forthcoming at some point, uh... I've been reading First and Second Timothy and Titus over and over and over and over, and there's just stuff that he's expected to know that they aren't gonna know. There's stuff that he's expected to enforce that they they're they're doing the wrong thing, and and they need somebody to come in and correct them. And we've got this democracy-minded view of everything. Of everybody's the same. Everybody's on the exact same level. That's what I was saying earlier. Right. So you need. Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and it doesn't, it's not only shepherds that you need. It's not only the elders that you need is you need this strong teaching presence. And so that's what James 3, 1 is getting at is let not many of you become teachers. We'll take a look at, again, these are Paul's instructions to Timothy. Second um, Timothy chapter four, uh, verse two, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Those sound pretty authoritative to me, right? <laughs> Rebuke, exhort. Um, you've got, what does he tell Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 15? Similar thing. Speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Can't get much clearer than that, that that is something that, again, he was not just clearly, Titus that is, somebody who was getting up, preaching, and you know maybe visiting a few people, and then that was the end of his quote-unquote duties or job description. He had authority. According to Paul, speak these things, exhort with all authority, and so I think. It, well, I want to. I don't know. We we use different versions. Uh, New American Standard ends that verse with "Let no one disregard." Despise you is what New King James uh, has. Yeah. Okay, no one despise you. That is an enforcement authority he's given as well. Not just get up and say it and hope they they do it. Go around and and kind of bust people on. Make sure they take you seriously, it. type of thing. Yeah. Right, like follow up of I told you you got to do this, go do it, and you're not doing it, and what's going on here? And you know, you brought up Second Timothy four as well of, of preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. The next verse he says, "For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine." Who's they? 
if everybody in the church is a teacher and a preacher, there's no they there, right? They is the run-of-the-mill people, the Christians, the, the, the church family. And so there's this divide. And again, we did an episode on eldership. We did an episode on Christian elitism of just we need people to rise up and take responsibility. And as you look throughout human history, we've got this very, one guy calls it the populist delusion, you know, and because people have this about America. Well, when the people just band together and, and stand up for them, that has never happened in human history. <laughs> the people don't do anything. The people are always led by somebody somewhere. Sure. And you got Titus being told, speak and reprove and re rebuke and exhort. Timothy, reprove, rebuke, exhort. It's your job to get people on track. Let me ask you this, because I can hear you know, maybe somebody who disagrees with what we're saying as far as, no, anybody should still be able to get up there and preach. I know my answer, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here and let you answer. Uh, they, they, Somebody might point to 2 Timothy 2, verse uh, 24, right? Well, a servant of the Lord must be able to teach, and so... Theoretically, we should all be servants of the Lord, and so therefore we should, you know, all be able to teach. I think there's a clear answer for what that's talking about there, but I'll I'll let you tackle that one. What would you What would you say if I yeah, brought I mean, that up in disagreement? That that servant thing is goes exactly to this point we're talking about. Of the way Paul uses that term is very clearly, this is somebody who's different, somebody that stands apart, somebody who uh, has dedicated their life to this. And Paul talks about this in, I think, 2 Corinthians about, you know, it's okay for those to, uh, who live by the gospel to gain their living by the gospel, mm -hmm. right? That, that about the being paid for it is okay because you've got people who have dedicated their life to this. And uh, again, 2 Corinthians where Paul's defending his apostleship gets into this kind of the same thing of, you guys support me, I do this work. I, I have dedicated my life to this. And there was kind of this, you know, uh, Crazy Love by Francis Chan and Radical by David Platt, really big hit books 10, 15 years ago. And it kind of led a lot of Christians to think, man, I'm not a missionary. I'm not selling my stuff and moving overseas. I'm, I'm not doing enough for the church. No, we need Christian plumbers and electricians and lawyers and doctors who stay in the same place their whole life and raise a family and there their and field. spread Christian yeah. influence in that place. Yes, affect their field and, and spread that Christian influence. And they need somebody to teach them how to do that who's trained, who, who knows what they're doing. And so this idea that, again, we're all in the same role, we're just not. And so when you bring up you know, that verse, it does say Lord's bondservant. Paul and Timothy are the Lord's bondservant. Now, there are other scriptures and other contexts where we're all bondservants for sure, but not this one. This one is that special role. And just one other note on that, the, the authority that, that uh, Timothy and Titus had. Everybody always goes to Titus 2, right? As it describes kind of at least the first 10 verses, as it describes, hey, this is how the church is supposed to function. You got older men teaching younger men, older women teaching younger women. What does that all start with there in verse 1? But as for you, you there being Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That all starts with Paul telling Titus here, you need to go speak the things, speak these things with authority so that the church will do them. And so, again, very clearly there, he is giving him the authority to say, make sure the church is doing this. Make sure the older men aren't just keeping to themselves and are actually teaching the next generation. Make sure the older women are teaching the younger women these specific things to be discreet, chase homemakers, love their husbands. Who's, who was given that responsibility and that authority? It was Titus, who was the preacher. And so I wanted to point that out, but I want us to get into this question that is... Uh, very, very interesting to me because I'll be honest, Jack, I have never heard of a congregation doing this. And, you know, obviously I'm not in every single elders meeting or anything like that. But 
When it comes to the appointment of elders, um, and I guess we have two different questions here because, you know, when it comes to an eldership versus new elders at being a part of an eldership, right? Like when you have a congregation that does not have elders and they need to establish an eldership that was not previously in existence would be one side. The other side would be you've got an eldership um, and maybe they're wanting to add new elders or, you know, replace some elders or whatever. What authority does the preacher have there? Because very clearly in Timothy, in First and Second Timothy, and in Titus, Paul is commanding uh, or instructing, I should say, the preacher role, Titus and Timothy, to appoint the elders. Um, and so that's not really what we see today. Um, at least, again, in my experience, and, and you can share your experience from what I've seen. I guess more so with that second side of things, which is the appoint new elder side. How does it normally go? From my experience, it's been oh, the elders that are already in place appoint the new elders. Or, you know, the congregation votes or whatever on the new elders. And the preacher, once again, my experience has kind of been kind of, you know, kept out of the uh, uh, discussion. And, you know, maybe they're in the discussion, but they're not the decision maker, I guess I should say. With that not really lining up with what we see in the New Testament, what is your answer to kind of this, you know, modern day speaking? What level of authority do preachers have when it comes to appointing elders? Yeah, I think that's why it's funny when somebody says, oh, this is a role that died out. We don't need it anymore. How many churches don't have elders? Yeah. And so who is doing this job? Who is right. driving things? Who is, is pushing things to a place where they can get elders, if not a preacher, if not somebody there? But you're right. Because we have that structure we talked about earlier where the preacher is employed by the elders, they're his managers, you don't get to pick your manager. There's no job in which you go, oh, I want this to be my boss. And so people think it's political. Okay, I'll go in and pick the guys that are not going to fire me, that are going to raise my salary, they're my buddies, the the people that I've kind of clicked with when I came into the job, and I, I don't deny, I don't doubt that that happens sometimes, that, you know, a, a preacher will get in and you go, man, this guy and I, we go fishing together, you know, every Friday and Saturday. This guy's my father-in-law, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, like, that kind of stuff happens, and, and so it taints the, the whole idea but that's why Paul is drilling into Timothy and Titus. You got to be on top of your game. You are accountable to God, not to anybody else, not to little old Miss Betty Sue who wants the church to do this, that, and the other thing. You're accountable to God. And so when you appoint elders, here's the qualifications. You had better live by these. You had better use these because you're going to be deeply accountable. That's the other thing we didn't get at with the let not many of you become teachers. If everybody's allowed to do it, nobody has the accountability. This whole role is is for somebody to take on heavy responsibility on Judgment Day. And if you go in and you appoint elders that are favorable to you because you like them, not because they meet scriptural qualification, get ready. Buckle up. It's not going to go well. And so, I I mean, I don't see... Because you go through the options, as you, you brought up, okay? And, and in places where there are elders in place, I do think they should have more of a say. They're, they're people who know the qualifications, are living them... Uh, you know, whatever the case may be, but where you're, you're starting from scratch, where you don't have elders, there's the nomination process thing. You know, people, oh, put up somebody, you know, you think was an elder, and then we'll kind of put their name forward to the church and basically, yeah, what's the, what do they say at weddings? If anyone has an objection, <laughs> speak now speak or forever, now hold, your forever hold your peace. Right. Yeah, like they go, you've got two weeks to let us know if you don't want this guy to be elder. What is this? <laughs> like, I mean, this is just throwing it out to anybody and everybody. Right. Anybody can can weigh my, in. My thirteen-year-old so, baptized kid could could vote or could weigh in on this type of thing. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and you know, or or the democracy thing. All right, well, let's all vote on. You know, you want to have so and so as an elder. 
what percentage do you need? Is it majority wins? Is it, you know, super majority? Like, what are, right, what are we talking right. about here? And so if it's not a man of God who has the authority from God and who is trusted by the congregation to stand and speak for God as to how these things apply, the alternatives aren't great. I don't, that's, that's my thoughts on this, is you end up in a very bad place if you get off of this. Again, I... I fully understand why people are uncomfortable with it i think the alternatives are horrible what well are, and what i think you? the current the current way that the system is 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 horrible um again kind of the the idea that the preacher is is under the thumb of the elders and you know you hear the stories about preachers that well that gotta go into an elders meeting it's like going to the lion's den type of thing because it's you know they pay your salary and they have the the authority to fire you it's yeah. like the board of directors thing and i i think that's terribly unhealthy i think that that is a recipe for a congregation that is going to struggle um, at least from the experience that I've seen. And so my answer would be, I agree with you on the from scratch thing. I think certainly when in doubt, go with the way scripture has it, which is in this case, once again, if you're starting from scratch, um, the preacher needs to be the one that's kind of pushing that. And I give Joe full credit at Jackson Temple. That's something he's been trying to do um, as kind of the preacher there. And that's great. Um, what I struggle with is, is like what you were saying with the, uh, with the second side, which is you've already got an eldership how much say should the preacher have um, with the new elders? I got to be honest, I don't see why the preacher's authority should should stop, if that makes sense. Yes, I agree with you that the, the current elders should, you know, contribute and have a say. I think it should maybe be, I think it should be a partnership. But if it came down to a 51-49, who's got more of the, the swing vote, I guess, so to speak, or who's got more quote-unquote authority, help me through this one. I don't see why it would stop being the preacher in that case and then transition into the the elders, just based on what we see in Scripture, what do you what do you have to add to that? Well, because as we already established, Ephesus probably had elders. Yeah. I mean, like that's uh, Acts twenty, and so when Paul when he's telling Timothy, "Hey, here's the qualifications for elders," he might be adding on to ones that were already appointed by Paul, uh, as best as we can tell. Like we don't have reason to believe otherwise, yeah. and so I would agree with that as well. And I, I think this before we kind of get on to the the second the back end of this episode. On, on the preacher's authority before we get off of this, I wish this is this had been taught to me a little bit more clearly in preaching school, and I wish I had gone into my ministries understanding this more, of you have authority. You are, are not, and, and I don't mean th- authority of throwing your weight sure. around, this authority of, of helping shape the church, of being God's man in, in the pulpit for the church, being God's man on the ground. And so you're not the shepherd, you're almost, you're the sheepdog. Right, sure. like you, it is your job to run around and, as we just saw, Titus two fifteen. Don't let anybody despise you. Don't let anybody ignore you. Like, make people show up to church. You know, if if you get to church and there's the person that you see once every three months and there's no elders there, it's your job to go drag them back into church or start church discipline. Mm-hmm. I wasn't taught that. Right. Like that was not. You know, it was kind of well up. We hope they come back. Uh, no, as, as a preacher, you have that authority from God. You have the authority to speak to people's sins, whether from the pulpit or directly. You have the authority to lean on some of the older guys at the church and be like, man, get your act together. We need help here. We need leadership. And you're not acting like it. Like, you know, and, and he says appeal to them as a brother. But when you read through these books, Timothy and Titus, these, these letters, I should say, it's so much of do this, do this, in this situation, do this, in this situation, do that. And it's... Go whip people into shape. Essentially, is your job is is get this church where it needs to be. Well, and again, why do the, why do you have the authority as as the preacher? 
because theoretically you're supposed to be more spiritually knowledgeable. You're supposed to have at least some level of, of wisdom. And again, a deeper Bible knowledge and a, a experience on how to handle things. I tend to think that a reason that a lot of people don't view young preachers, for instance, as having authority is because, and we're going to get into this discussion, so I don't want to jump the gun, but we got a lot of guys that are kind of jumping into preaching that don't have the knowledge, that don't have the maturity, that don't have the wisdom. And so, you know, again, to me, it makes sense for people to look at them and go, um, excuse you, who do you think you are? You know what I mean? Like, I think the it has gotten twisted so much that... Guilty. I, I mean, I just look back, I'm like, I was 24 years old. Right. I had nothing, like, no life experience. No, I, yeah, I, I had a preaching school degree. What? Why? Yeah. Why on earth? And, and like, I wouldn't... If in the reverse situation, I, you know, 24-year-old <laughs> me walked in church now and said, I want to be your preacher. You, <laughs> you wouldn't hire kid. yourself? I mean, like... <laughs> Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, I, I've written about this a little bit. I, I don't want to get too deep into it because it's not about me, but there's a reason I'm not a preacher anymore. And and this is a big part of it is just like there's earned credibility, and you've got to go build it up in your life. You've got to be somebody who can be respected, who, you know, it's not just— Not just your average because, Joe, you know, right. that, uh, Yeah, yeah, it's not just, well, I know a lot of stuff. Knowing a lot of stuff is great. There's, there's other stuff that comes with it. And you see with Timothy, it can be a young guy. I'm not saying all young guys are disqualified. I think a 20-year-old, you know, sometimes these guys we throw into right. the deep end, not a great idea. Um, but, and you don't have to have a family and these things that sometimes t- churches tack on. And that's their preference. They're allowed that. But I, I do think this thing you're getting at of if you're going to be this authority role, you had, if you're going to demand respect as God's man you got to be respectable and and i think that sometimes goes missing and so it's this snowball effect of we don't respect our preachers so we get unrespectable preachers so we respect them even less yeah, it is a cycle so on and yeah, so forth that's a great way to yeah. put it let's get into this last kind of section that we want to get into and that is are there or should there be qualifications to preachers um we, we have qualifications, obviously, for elders, uh, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. We have qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3 um, as well. And so um, we don't really have them anywhere for preachers. And so you see all that, that lengthy list of qualifications for elders, and I think that's, that's obviously important. There's a reason for that is because if these are going to be the shepherds of your congregation, these are the things that... You, you know, they need to have lined up with, you know, making sure that they, they properly demonstrated that they can lead people to faithfulness, that being their family, that they're hospitable, that they're able to teach all these things. Where does that overlap with preachers? Um, Jack, you were a, you were a preacher as a single person for, for a long time. And I technically was for about a year or so before Rachel and I got married. And so I think we're in agreement that you know it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that's married with kids. But what about some of these other things? Uh, again, hospitality, the, all the maybe more character things. Obviously, we're like, okay, yes, they'd be good to have. But some of these get get very, very specific when you're looking at First Timothy three and Titus, gentle, not quarrelsome, um, not a novice. I mean, technically, that that's pretty relative. If you were if you started preaching at what you say, 20, I started preaching at eighteen. I was technically a new convert, right? And, you know, because I was baptized at 11 or 12. And so that, that wasn't that long ago. So where, in your opinion, where do you think the, the overlap is with qualifications? Elders, deacons, we don't really have them listed for preachers. What would you have to, to mention there? I, I think there's 
the thing about the elder and deacon qualifications is they're very tangible, I guess, you know, of believing children and not giving much wine and, you know, a good reputation, things like that you can go check on. You do have 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Uh, and so I, I, those are qualifications. They're characteristics. They're not quite the same thing, not as tangible, but there's that uh, 6 verse 11 after he'd been talking about the love of money and, and things like that. Uh, he comes back around to flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Uh, a little bit of overlap there, but very similar. The Second Timothy right, two passage as well that on. I brought up earlier. The yeah, right. The Second Timothy two, uh, not quarrelsome and able to teach, and uh, you know, and there's diligence and all these things. Of, of all the things Paul tells him, you need to be this. That's qualifications to a degree, and not timid. I mean, he, he rebukes Timothy in, in uh, 2 Timothy 1 about you're being too timid with this gospel, and that, that doesn't work. Like, you got to step up, you know, or go big or go home kind of thing. And so you kind of look back on it, and that's what I, in, in hindsight, was looking back to myself as a 24-year-old, and it's like, I was terrified of confrontation. Why you can't be a preacher if you're terrified of confrontation? Uh, you know, and and love and conduct and was I really exemplary in these ways? Well, no. Then you know that and so these are a lot harder to quantify, and so that's why we don't view them as the same kind of list. Uh, you know, okay, is he married? Does he have kids? All right, we'll, we'll check that box. Do, do his kids come to church? We'll check that box. Okay, does he set an example of the believers in? love, faith, and purity. A little bit harder. And so um, I think there are certain characteristics that you are looking for, It, but so, it's not qualifications. I agree. I, I got to say, so this is one that if I was, in an, you know, as part of an eldership, I, you know, the you will know them by their fruits passage would be something that would uh, come to my mind. Since it's, it, it is less tangible, it is less um, measurable, so to speak. It's It's one of those, you look at the guy and what are the fruits of his life? Um, and, but this is where the, the current preaching school method is difficult because how many 22 year olds, especially if they're not married, and don't have kids have shown fruit that you can evaluate if that makes sense, you know, like, and we're going to get into the preaching school question here in just a second, but you know, I think that, I think that's tough. I really do. And I'm speaking as somebody who started preaching at age 18. So, you know, I'm not trying to cast any aspersions on anybody. One of my really good friends is, is about to take a preaching job and is, you know, graduating Bear Valley. And I, th I think that's fantastic. But this is when it gets difficult is, you know, where's the fruit? And, and if there is fruit, how do you evaluate it? Because, Jack, how much change, you know, took place from you just from age 24 to 28? Probably an enormous yeah. amount, you know. And so, you know, I, I think that it's such a difficulty there but as you try to balance the let no one despise your youth but also you you're you're expected to have high character you're expected to to bear fruit you're expected to have all these things sometimes these kids that we kick out of preaching school and just go shove them into a ministry position that's really tough um and so i agree with what all everything you're bringing up about the qualifications and you know the things that you see there in second timothy 2 and in other places that there are clearly things that we can look at and say yeah these things are needed um but for the intangibles, for the things that are that are difficult to measure, the younger the guy is, to me, the more difficult that is to because we've brought this up with youth ministers before. Certainly not the same, uh, very very different. That youth minister is not a role anywhere in scripture. But how many horror stories do you hear about the immature youth minister that does something off the wall that he shouldn't? 
you know, you've got a lot of people that get thrust into the preaching role that are also, you know, maybe on the more immature side. So um, I don't know if you want to go ahead and get into that, the preaching school angle of this, but to me, that's what I see is that the younger the, the guy is, the more difficult it is to evaluate the intangibles and the, the bearing fruit. I want to add one other thing to the evaluating is, and it's hard to cook up a different way of doing it, but the way we have of connecting preachers to churches, we'll put in a listing online, you send a resume in, you might send a recorded sermon in, we'll look at the resume, see if you look any good, and then you come in for a weekend. You you might have Saturday night dinner with them or a Sunday potluck meal, um, you're going to preach, they're going to hear you preach and teach two or three times, and then you go home and that's it. They're going to evaluate you based on that, and if you're decent at preaching, all right, you'd probably get that job. You know, it's, it's you, you go in, you, you present a lesson, they, they like what you brought to the table. You don't know anything about me. You know, other than, I you know, I might be decent at, at preaching a lesson, that you can understand what I had to say. That's it. And, and so this fruit testing that you're talking about is very difficult to do in this this system, and like I said, I don't have a better answer. Uh, you know, I, maybe maybe taking the references part very seriously, you know, calling somebody's preaching school or Bible college teachers, calling the eldership. I think that's a really important thing. Elderships communicating is call the eldership of where the guy goes to church and say, what, what are you seeing? You know, or, or his where the he people he's, he's preached yeah, with previously. Maybe, yeah. 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 I mean, classmates, whatever, and get an honest answer out of people of, is this somebody whose fruit is there? And so there's that side as well. Um, something I saw and maybe if I'm being honest with myself, something that probably was real, this, this thing you mentioned to get into next a lot of times the guys that are drawn to preaching schools are guys that don't really have other options, <laughs> right. don't really know what they want to do with their lives. And, man, the uh, my class of preaching school graduated four out of the nine that started. The class after me, I think they started 13 guys and graduated three or four. Wow. Because you just had a lot of deeply unserious guys. And so it's a credit to, to those that went through and graduated. Of They, they were with it enough to, to stick it out. And, and a lot of them are still preaching. Uh, in fact, I literally uh, lived down the, the road from one of my classmates. Uh, just saw him in the gym uh, yesterday morning. Uh, he, he preaches at a congregation 20 minutes from here. And so uh, that's really cool to see. But he was an older guy. There was a lot of these younger guys coming out of high school you know, maybe did a year or two of college, didn't really have an, an aim in life, and, you know, well, I'll show this is a school. free school. Right. Yeah, I mean, preaching school's free. They'll help you line up your support. You know, churches support you to go, and you do, and all right, we'll give this a try. And there were a lot of guys that gave it a try that just dropped out. And, uh, but then there were a lot of them that they kind of graduated. I was like, well, I, I don't have anything else. I guess I'll go preach. And then they just end up in a, a career of it, and this is what leads to the discussion earlier about the preacher not being respected. And I don't want to just say that that's the only reason. But if you have guys that are getting into ministry kind of as the backup plans, backup plan, like, well, this didn't work out, and this didn't work out, and this didn't work out. So, sure, why not? Let me give it a try. And then they just kind of follow down that same path. Is it any surprise that we have a lot of, again, congregations that, first of all, are led by spiritually weak men? I hate to be, you know, to, to sound you know, judgmental or harsh or anything like that. But let's face it, we see that a lot, um, right. spiritually weak men. But then also, like you said, just kind of kind of unserious men, kind of guys that, you know, they're, they're getting paid for 40 hours a week. They're going to, you know, put together a good sermon here and there. And I don't know, like to me, I, I would caution and I would encourage young men, do not go to preaching school or to ministry school or whatever, unless you just deeply desire to go into it. 
you know, if that, if that, fire in my if that's something you have a call, you feel that you're, you're called to do and something you feel like I just, you know, I have to, I really want to, that's something that I've always wanted to great. Go for it. If you're the guy that's like, well, I don't really want to go to college. I don't really want to work at Walmart the rest of my life. So I guess I'll just go to preaching school. I would advise somebody against it personally. And that's <laughs> my opinion comes with a grain of salt because I never went to preaching school. You did. So you need to be the one talking here, but um, I do see a lot of people that kind of get into ministry as a backup plan. And again, I think that leads to a lot of congregations and really elderships that don't respect the preacher that, you know, this is where we started the discussion and why this is such a, we have so many misunderstandings with the preacher. And so I think it's a fixable solution, but right now the current system that we have leads to a lot of this, the, these issues that we're discussing. Anything you would, you would have to add to that? Yeah, I, I, I do want to say, and I've been trying to say some of this in my writing as well. I don't want this to come off as as preacher bashing. Oh yeah, because not I, at all. I've been saying the same thing. If we end up with a lot of unserious, unimpressive people uh, in pulpits, and and it just really downgrades the position, there are a lot of guys that are just truly men of oh, God. Yeah. True, I mean, great men. There's there's guys you know, guys I know uh, that that are just being what God wants them to be. That and, are the and role that Timothy and Titus were. And, right. Right, and they've taken it on, and it, it is a lot of responsibility. I mentioned before, I'm not in it right now. One of the reasons was, you know, had had the twins and four kids, five and under, is is a lot going on. I didn't have time for all the ministry stuff I needed to do. But there was a degree to which my wife was just like, we've got so much going on at home, and Friday night at 11 o'clock, you're lying up in bed trying to figure out how do we get so-and-so to come back, you know, like that. And, and that's not patting myself on the back. That's the nature of the job. And, and that I was at a place where I'm like, I can't do this right now with, with where my family is. The guys that you have doing that, give thanks to Absolutely. God for those guys. And I, I want to give thanks to, you know, I know we have preachers that listen to us. Keep going, guys. I mean, it is a big deal to stand in that gap and, and to take that on. That is a, a heavy burden. So we want to give well, thanks to that for point, that. We, need, we need guys like that. That's who we need is the guys that don't just treat it like a nine to five clock in, but the guys that, you know, again, are, are trying to fill the role uh, that Timothy and Titus have, we need as much of that as we can get. Right, right, and and so that's you know something we uh, uh, you know had some things on the outline to talk about is these these qualities that we see that boldness but gentleness. It, it, you have to be a very complete person uh, of somebody that can really lay down the law on somebody, as we see, reprove, rebuke, exhort. You know all of these things that the Timothy and Titus were called to do. Some people like are wolves, and you've got to have that voice to stand up and be like, "Get out! We're not doing this," and and really take a harsh stand against somebody. You've got to have with other people just patience and go, "Man, this guy's not getting it, but his heart's in the right place. Let's let's just stick it out." Or I got to go, you know, get that one wayward sheep back again. And and again, not that the preacher's a shepherd, but you know what I'm saying. Of I've you know I've got to give so and so a call because we haven't seen him in a while. But that gentleness, that patience, that all of these things, and so cultivating the kind of person that is authoritative without being authoritarian, somebody who is gentle without being soft, with all of these qualities. Someone who's tough um, and bold and without being overbearing. Like, yeah, like there's a ditch right. everybody can go into. Yep. Right, because that's, you know, so many times you see these things that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, and it's just like, oh, well, then I'll just kind of go along to get along. No, no, there's very much the other side here, and we always talk about the two ditches, and, and everyone's drawn to two ditches. And so, you know, again, we need those men that have the touch and the, the wisdom to know what a situation calls for, I guess, is, is the way to put that. And, and again, we, we give thanks to God for those guys we do have. And so 
Um, I don't know if you have anything more on that. We had a couple other uh, questions, curiosities maybe to get at, um, but anything else before we move on? No, to jump into them. All right, so one of them was, do preacher's wives have qualifications? No. I mean, there is, the First Timothy 3, there's, you know, something that just says women, but that's not necessarily preacher's wives. That's just something, you know, maybe elders' wives, deacons' wives, but, but women that are going to, you know, step up in the church, there's good things to take from that. Um, there aren't preacher's wives' qualifications. On the other hand, a preacher uh, can be greatly hindered or bolstered by the wife that he has. I've seen guys whose ministry was just wrecked because their wife uh, was yeah. catty. Yep. Yeah, you know, let me played uh, played click games. And let all me that. ask it this way because I'm gonna I'll give my answer first. If you and I because I have heard two different elderships have completely different takes on this. If you were a part of an eldership, would you, if you're looking at a guy to hire as a preacher, would you take his wife into consideration as far as that? That's part of the evaluation. Again, I've had two elderships. One that says no, not at all. We're hiring the preacher and just the preacher. Um, his wife doesn't really, that's not going to be a part of our evaluation. I've had another eldership that, that, you know, that I've talked to that has basically said, yeah, we, we were of that opinion. And then we hired somebody whose wife, like you said, was a massive hindrance and really negatively affected our congregation. And so now it is a part of our evaluation. Which side do you fall on? I'll be honest, uh, again, not an elder, but if I was, I would lean more towards the side of, I'm going to take it into evaluation. I'm going to... Uh, just like if a guy had, you know, maybe grown kids, I'm going to look at if they're faithful or not. How, how well is he at managing his house? How good is he at keeping his wife from being a gossip that, that runs amok in the church and, right. and, you know, all these things. And so again, not sure what your take is on that. I've heard those two sides. Again, I lean more towards, I am going to kind of evaluate, is his wife hospitable? Does she, does she enjoy talking to people? And is she welcoming? Is she all these things? Not that that's going to be the determining factor, but it's going to go into my evaluation. How about yours? For sure. I mean, she's she's just a huge part of everything that he does, and and you know, his availability and his attitude and his uh, just everything. And uh, I mean, this goes too far sometimes. Where you'll see a guy show up, and they essentially hand her a job too. Yeah. All right, you got to teach the class on Tuesdays. You got to schedule all the events. You got to clean the building. You got to hey, pay more. <laughs> right. If you if you are gonna put work on her, you're gonna pay her for it. Okay. And so that is not she's not a paid employee but she is influential on her husband's work and I, I i think that is something you really have to uh take into consideration is how she's going to affect him i i totally agree with your take there yeah all right we had another one uh you mentioned i don't think we covered this earlier uh there there is a belief out there the preacher shouldn't sh- stay long somewhere and i don't think this is as common as maybe it used to be but there was almost like a five-year rule on some guys of like all right you go you, you you do your preach and say what you got to say and move on, uh, and and sometimes uh, there's there's a caution against a a preacher becoming an institution, right? That he becomes so established that the church and he kind of become synonymous. I can see where that could become a problem, but what are your well, thoughts the, on this this idea that preachers shouldn't have a long? The tenure? other angle that I would add is that you hear this in sports, right? That coach has been there for 15 years. He's been an incredible coach but the team just needs a new voice, right? They've just, you know, it's grown stale. His words don't have as much effect. And so they say he's been a phenomenal, but we need to move on and get a new voice, right? I've heard the same thing when it comes to preachers. I think it's case by case, to be honest. I don't think we need to, I can't personally come down and say, yeah, there needs to be a five-year rule or a 10-year rule, or it absolutely doesn't matter. Because I can, like you, I can see an instance where you've got a guy, if he's been there 10, 12, 15 years, however long, 
maybe he is, maybe it is growing stale. Maybe there is a, you know, a point in which you do need a new voice. But as far as a hard fast, I mean, I've seen guys be incredibly successful being somewhere for, um, for 30 years. I think what you would have to watch out for, um, again, putting myself in the position of an eldership is a level of, I guess, comfort within a congregation of like plateauing. And we're all, you know, we're just kind of at the same spot, not really growing, not really evangelizing. Um, if the preacher is driving that as, as great as he might've been for the first, however many years, I think that's when you start looking, okay, maybe it is time for a change again, no matter how great he is. If you, if you're starting to see evidence of a congregation, that's kind of plateauing, not really growing spiritually, not growing numerically. Um, that would be my take very case by case. And I don't think there's a hard, fast rule, but maybe there are instances in which you do need a new voice. How about you? Yeah. Case by case makes sense. I think, when a guy is putting in the work for the relationships and really, you know, building and, and connecting and somebody new comes in and he's in their house and they're in his and, you know, he, he's, he's working on that, that, that buys that, that you get that cachet, you get that connectivity that, that keeps you around a long time. The other situation in which it works is the big churches where you don't ever get to see the preacher other than shaking his hand for 10 seconds. If he's a good enough preacher and he's preaching the word, then those guys get to stick around. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. You know, if, if they can manage the people and and kind of, I don't know, just have a smile on their face and, and do that role. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but there's just a difference in, you know, small church, big church role of preacher. Uh, but I, I think those are the, the, the instances in which longevity works out. But, I, I mean, I I think longer is better in, in most cases unless the guy is just not effective. Yeah. Um, because of the building, building of relationships, relationships yeah. making that makes sense because of the because yeah. the buy-in is there from the congregation it does feel uh, you know the the family it's hard to have a family culture a family atmosphere when you've got preachers shuffling ministers shuffling and you know family shuffling around man that's going to be super hard to cultivate and that's why you and, and all three of us have spoken on hey to the best of your ability stay at your congregation you know don't bounce around um because it's one of those things you, you build it, you build it up, you build it up, preacher leaves or a bunch of families leave. You got to kind of almost start over from scratch. And so, yeah, that's a really good point. One that I didn't think about that, you know, the relationships being built and it's an investment really. And it's, it's like pulling, pulling your 401k out early. That's not what you're supposed to do. You keep it in there as long as you can. So that's a good thought. Yeah. I mean, first year you, you barely have scratched the surface. And so if you're going to be you know, first year planting your feet, and then the last year, you know, you're you're looking for other jobs and trying out elsewhere. Man, there's not a whole lot of time to get something done, and so, yeah, uh, I, I don't think that is uh, uh, the right idea. Um, I, so we covered the idea of, of having the men preach. Not everybody. Uh, there's some guys you should push into that role. Not everybody. Uh, I I think this is whether you decide to have a preacher or not. You need to have certain guys that are looked to as as the guys. Uh, any other uh, uh, loose ends to button up here? I don't think so. I was just gonna say I got to be honest. I, you know, a couple years ago, that was that was what I was thinking. You know, idealistically, man, wouldn't it be great if you could just have a, a rotation among the men um, that could get up and preach? And you know, just that that was my interpretation. And yeah, you, you study like you're you're talking. And of course, my discussions with you guys have have helped as well. Kind of me get to this point of there there is a there is an authority here as we discussed this whole episode there is a position there is a role there is a an a level of importance to the person that has this you know put in the the time to be more biblically knowledgeable and has put in the study and the resources and um because you, you talk about the fact that we need christian lawyers and christian plumbers and christian all these things 
it's just a simple fact of life that the guy who is paid to study is going to have more time to study and is going to have more time to, to look at things deeply and to, to look at things from different perspectives and all these things. He just is more so than the Christian plumber and the guy that's got to put in a 40, 45, 50 hour work week. And so, yeah, I, I think that there is, there needs to be, um, we need to, we need to figure out ways in our congregations to give the preacher more respect than we do. And if you're sitting here and you're listening to this and you, you kind of realize maybe your congregation, or maybe you yourself don't really respect your preacher all that much. There's a reason to, there's a reason to evaluate right there and a reason to kind of take inventory and say, why is that? And what can, what can you do to kind of get back to really emphasizing the importance of this role? So that's all I had to add though. I will sure. say, yeah, I'll go say, ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I, I was just go gonna say, ahead. I will I mean, say, I, direction. you know, doing this episode, I'm really glad the two of us got to, I wish Joe could have been on for this episode. He would have had, I'm sure a lot of good thoughts to add because me and him have had discussions about this before, but uh, shout out Joe. We miss you. Indeed. No hot takes this week. Uh, <laughs> right. we'll, uh, hope uh, Safe travels back and, and we'll have him around for next week. Um, we are taking suggestions on episodes. We've got some uh, lined up, but as always, we want to hear uh, what what is interesting to the deep thinkers, what what you're looking for. Uh, there's that special access on Focus Plus I mentioned uh, where a little bit more uh, connection there, a little bit more uh, front of the line, velvet rope access, whatever you want to call we've it. Get- uh, and so well, Jack was go, Jack's going to put out uh, one for free, uh, the deep end that we did about Pride Month. You, I'm sure you remember the episode, and then we did a deep end about it. Um, that one went 40 minutes. We, it was a very passionate and very um, it was a really good discussion. Um, but it's one of those things, man. We really enjoy those, and we'd love for as many people to take advantage of kind of that extra discussion, the extra ability to insert comments and questions, man. If if you can take advantage of that, um, but yeah, that, I think that's the one you're going to put out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we're going to have that. Uh, one of my scriptural focus videos, a couple other things, uh, just kind of a free preview. So focuspress.org/plus, check it out. Uh, it, it's a great way to support us, but you get something in return, and so. Uh, it helps us out a lot. We're really thankful. We've, we've had a great response so far. And, uh, yeah, we want you to check that out. And so, uh, Lord willing, we'll be doing another Deep End on Friday. And so that'll be up for the subscribers only. Uh, and then we'll be back next Monday with more Think Deeper. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.